uh, uh, warning, warning. The lights began to flash and, and the pilot began to grab the yoke and try and figure out what was wrong. His engine was dying as he was flying over the Sahara. He remembered passing an oasis just a few miles back and he set the plane down gradually and ah, a soft landing. He made it. He survived. He was so grateful. He gathered the things that he had and he thought, if I can only make it back to the oasis, I will survive. He sent out a beacon and he knew that they would begin to look for him, but he knew that they would look for the oasis. He set out climbing over sand dune, from one sand dune to the next, to the next. Every time he thought he found the oasis, it only turned out to be a mirage. Then finally, coming over the last sand dune, he saw the oasis. He ran. He ran through the trees and, and at the very center, he found where there was a pool where there used to be water. And it was cracked and it was muddy. Crushed and disappointed, he thought, this is where it ends. He looked off to the side and there he saw an old rusty pump. He ran over to the pump and he thought, I wonder if this thing works. There next to the pump, he saw a box. He opened the box and there he pulled out a canteen of water. There it was. On it, there was a note. He took off the note and he read it. It said, do not drink this canteen of water. Well, that was odd, he thought. And so he kept reading and it said, whatever you do, don't drink this canteen of water. It is fresh, good water, but pour it into the pump. There's a hole there and that will prime the pump and then you can have all the water you want. The man was faced with a choice. If he drinks the water, he'll survive for a few more hours, maybe another day or two. But would the rescue team find him in time? Or he could risk the water into the pump to prime the pump. But would it work? He didn't know. It was a big risk. Would it be worth it? This is a question that all of us fast or face, and, and I know that I have been there. There have been moments in my life when I've wondered, is it worth the risk? Should I risk it all? Will it work out? And at times, I've chosen different things. At times, I've chosen to drink the water. At times, I risked it and it worked. And sometimes I chose to risk it and it didn't work. But all of these leave us with that question, that emotion, that feeling, and maybe some of you are there this morning. You've been on both sides of this, and the question is, is it worth it to risk again? That's one of the questions I want us to think about this morning. Because if you know me, you know that I am passionate about missions, evangelism, and outreach, and, and in fact, for many years, I dedicated my life to serving in missions or empowering others to go and to serve. And I love seeing the good news of, gospel, of God's gospel translated into new languages and into new cultures. I loved seeing people and cultures set free to follow Jesus in a new way. And this is what I've dedicated my life to early on. And, and in fact, it's one of the reasons that my wife and I moved here to Southern California. It's because we love the diversity that was here. This region has a global impact, and it can also have a global impact for the church. But the question is, what will we, what will the church do with our canteen of water? 
What are we going to do? Is it worth the risk? I think most of us get excited about translating the gospel into other languages, but we often fail to see how much our world is changing all around us. Like a frog in a kettle, our world is changing, sometimes slowly, sometimes very quickly, but always moving. The world is changing, and, and it's not just between languages and cultures, it's also changing between generations. From one generation to the next, things are changing, and each generation has its own language, its own culture, and its own values and worldviews. But working across those gaps takes work, it takes learning, it takes risks, it takes failure. But if we don't give up, at some point we will succeed in building long-lasting bridges. Over the last few weeks, I've heard so much about the conversation about revivals that are beginning to stir in our nation. And, and there's a string of, of things that are happening, and I love seeing God work in a new generation. I love seeing it. I love seeing people catch fire for God. But that doesn't mean that we're going to go back to the good old days. In fact, one of the few things that God never seems to do is an encore. The gospel never changes, but God always seems to do a new thing. Things will look different. And as God uses the gospel to transform each people, culture, and generation, things will happen and they will look different, but God is up to something. In the last couple of weeks, in our current sermon series, we've been talking about sharing our faith. Sharing the good news of God and what He's done in our world and what He's done in our lives. This morning, we're going to take a moment to look at one of the most pivotal mission texts in all of Scripture. This amazing story of the Apostle Paul as he shares the good news in Athens was recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 17. Now, I want to set the stage. Paul has just crash-landed in Athens after fleeing two other towns because the religious leaders were upset that Paul was upsetting the status quo by sharing about the new things that God was doing among the followers of Jesus and even among the Gentiles, who were from a different culture. Let's pick up the text right there in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the other leaders who were coming, they were following him, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now there was a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers who began to debate with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said that this was because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus in the resurrection. Then they, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription 
to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman, Damaris, and a number of others. Now, there's a lot packed into this passage, but there's a couple of things that I want us to see. And the first is this. It all starts with the Holy Spirit moving on Paul. In verse 16, it says that he was greatly distressed. You see, the Holy Spirit moved on his heart and he was moved with compassion that there was something that was stirring in him. He was distressed by what he saw. And it moved him. He was compelled to speak up because he cared so much about the Athenians. He cared about them. And he sees that they are being destroyed by idols. You see, in ancient days, idols controlled people's lives. They were bloody and demanding, and they required them to pay a high price to appease them. And there were gods for everything. You had to appease the god for good health, for protection, the god of the crops, the god of your family, the god of fertility. You, you know, if you wanted to curse someone or to prevent someone from cursing you, Every aspect of life was controlled by a different idol. And in their desperation, many people went broke. Paul saw this and his heart was broken for them. And so much so that he was willing to risk his canteen of water. He was willing to risk it all to speak up even after being kicked out of the last two towns. The second thing that I want us to see there is that he met them where they were at. You see, Paul didn't start with the Hebrew scriptures and the law. No, instead, he spoke to them in their own language of Greek. He quoted their poets and their philosophers. And he loved and affirmed them. In verse, 20 says, he, verse 22, he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Today, that's the equivalent of saying, I'm spiritual but not religious. But he actually affirms that. And he affirms them, and, and it, it could mean anything to them. 
But Paul starts with where they are. And then he begins to slowly proclaim the good news. And he starts in verse 23, he says, I even found an altar to an unknown God. This is what I'm proclaiming to you today. The God who made the world and everything in it. This creator is living and active and you can know this God. And you can know him in a personal way, that he's there for you, that he cares for you. This is what Paul begins to call them to. And then finally, Paul calls them to repentance. Verse 27, God did this so that you would seek him. He is saying that, that, that you can be, you and I can be transformed. Don't stay where you are. He gets very blunt in verse 30. He just simply says, repent. That means to turn and to walk a new way. And this is what it means for us today. Today, we still have idols and gods of this age. And our idols and gods of this age are still bloody. They still require far more from us than we are willing to give. Sometimes our personal dreams get in the way and they begin to lead us into greed and, and trying to have things our way to the point that it cuts off relationship and sin begins to drag us down into addiction to the point where babies become inconvenience and we just terminate them. Our world is still bloody. And the second thing I want us to see is that it's time for us to let go and to follow our Creator and our Savior, the Lord. God is calling us to something more. It's, it's time to let go of those idols. The other thing I want us to see here this morning is that our culture has two dominant worldviews. The first one is progressivism. And it's this spiritual idea of we, we are spiritual but not religious. There is either no God or all roads lead to God. And it's with this emphasis on your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And, and it's this idea that there's multiple truths or multiple things and just you be you. And progressivism is, is this idea that the world is going forward into progress. And there's this idea of tolerance and it's all about grace and acceptance and self-love and just this focus on ourselves. And the orientation is on the failures of the past and hopes for this bright, beautiful future. This is most exemplified in the beautiful utopian future of Star Trek. It's this idea that we're fighting for a beautiful future. The second and competing worldview is fundamentalism. And this is the opposite idea, that the world is degrading. And it's this idea of revivalism that, that always has a sense of wanting to go back or at least preserve the status quo. And there's this focus on truth-telling and of change now and legalistic judgmentalism that focuses on maintaining traditions and power structures the way they are. And it's this orientation focused on the success of the past and fears of the future. This is most exemplified in the dystopian future of Mad Max, where everything is unwinding and becoming crazy. But both of these ideas are wrong, and for very different and in some, the same reasons. You see, the Bible reminds us that there is nothing new under the sun. From Genesis 3 and 4 on, 
it reminds us that, that sin and brokenness has always been a part of our story. And part of what we need to do is that we need to admit that the past is not perfect. But the flip side of that is that, that nothing will change in, the fu- in a future without God. Humanism and progress won't solve our issue. They will only create new ones. You see, only God transforms. And our hope is only in Him. But He is a living God, and He can and will transform us if we live and move in Him. This is the power of the resurrection, which the philosophers of our age find to be a complete and utter stumbling block. If everything, if everything in our Christian life makes sense to non-Christians, then something isn't right. You see, our priorities need to be different, and our different priorities should make a difference in the way that we live. We need to live in such a way that our radical commitments to love go beyond what our world views as tolerance and self-love to something more powerful. Romans 2.4 says, It is the kindness and grace of God that leads us to repentance. But yes, there is repentance involved. Yes, we can and should love ourselves because we are created in the image of God, but nobody is perfect. And that means that change requires repentance. You see, when we feel safe, we can make the life changes that we need. But it does require something from us. Paul says it. We must repent and turn and go a different line, a different way. The bottom line is this, that God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. I love that. God wants to to meet you where you are, but he wants to draw you into something more beautiful. He wants you to draw you into himself. So let's go. This is our opportunity to share that good news. You see, Easter is coming. In fact, we're only two weeks away. Next week is Palm Sunday. And then it's Passion Week, leading up to the story of Easter. And this is one of the most exciting parts of the year, where we get to celebrate what God has done and what God is doing in each and every one of us. And so my challenge to us this week is to begin to think about ways that we can share that. And you may be thinking, I'm going to ask you to invite somebody to come to church. And that's a good idea, but that's not the challenge. You see, because what I really want you to do is to think through how your life is different because of the resurrection of Jesus. How has he made a difference in your life? And then I want you to go and I want you to share that with someone this week. Yeah, it may end with inviting them to church, but think through one person who you can share how God made a difference in your life this week. And it may not need to be your whole testimony, but whatever it is appropriate. Maybe it's just in that moment in the the checkout line of just think of one way in which God made a difference in your life and share that. Maybe it's just a testimony of how he met you in a moment of weakness or in a moment of need or, or whatever it is, but look for an opportunity to share God this week. And so my challenge today is simply, like Paul, allow your heart to be moved, to build a bridge of connection and to share what God has 
done. Now, as, I, as we begin to close, I want you to think about this. The gospel in the early church spread most often from person to person in daily life. Paul spoke not only in the synagogue, but it also says he spoke in the marketplace. It was as they went, wherever they went, they simply took what little they had in their hand in that canteen and they risked it to invite others to join them in following Jesus. And so as I close, I want to share a story of this that I heard that just completely blew my mind. It was just, I, I love this story. It's a story of a group of Ethiopian women. Now, these women were uneducated women, and they were stuck in grinding poverty, and they felt trapped. But they had a belief in a God of resurrection power that has a history of using the little things, the things that are not, to confound the things that are and to do something bigger. But in their poverty, one of the few limited opportunities for them was to travel to the Middle East, to find and to work as housekeepers and nannies, to find jobs working kind of these menial tasks. And they began to pray and ask God, God, what, what could they do with their talent? What could they do with their canteen of water and with this pump? Could God use me? And they began to realize that there was about one missionary per 405,000 unreached Muslims. And here they were, their, their church began to think about, here they were, they were sending thousands upon thousands of Ethiopian Christian women, all expenses paid trips to a country that doesn't even accept missionaries. Not only were they welcomed into this country, but they were welcomed into homes and into families where they were asked to help raise the kids in ways in which most missionaries never even have the opportunity. And so the church, these ladies began to catch this vision. And so the church asked for people to come and to train these housekeepers and these nannies to learn how to share the gospel with the families that they lived with. And it began to transform lives. This is the gospel seeping from the grassroots up, changing and transforming whole lives and nations. This is the beauty of the gospel, starting with the simple and confounding the wise, something that we never could have planned, but here is God at work. It's saying, God, start with me. Let my heart be moved by what moves your heart. Then take my little canteen of water, my time, my gifts, my talents, my relationships, and then let them bring about change. It's radical love leading to a radically changed life. And as you go, make disciples. And so this week, let your heart be transformed and ask God to open your eyes to share the gospel with those around you. You see, I recently heard just one more story about someone right here in our community who couldn't do much, but they had an in-home nurse that would come and give them treatment every week. And they took that opportunity to talk, about, uh, to talk about what was on that person's heart. Talk about a captive audience. They had this time to sit there while they were receiving this treatment, to learn their heart language and to pray with them, all while looking for an opportunity 
to share the gospel. You see, who we are are people who are called to be Jesus' hands and feet in life. You and I can begin to find creative ways to invest what little we have in our life, to speak the truth, and to invite others to this transformed life. If that's you today, let's take a moment to just pray and ask Jesus to use our little, to use our story, to be a part of change in our lives and in our world this Easter season. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for the opportunity to be changed by the words of Paul. Lord, I pray that that you would remind us of this opportunity to come and to be changed, to come and to repent, to come and to turn to you. But Lord, I pray that this isn't about us, but it's about you and it's about you using our little to do extraordinary things. And so this week, Lord, I pray that you would use us. We would find one moment where we can take what we have and share it with someone else who maybe needs a word of encouragement or a word of hope right in the midst of what they are experiencing. And maybe that's some of us here today, Lord. And so if that's us, that's you, if that's me, Lord, we just ask for you to come and give us a word of hope today. Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you move in each and every one of us that we may be your hands and feet wherever we go? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here with us this week. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for all you do to help make this place special. You are amazing and we love doing this with you. Thank you and have a great week. We will see you next week for Palm Sunday and the week after that for Easter. Have a great week. We love you guys. Bye.